You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have been through years of their loved one's active addiction. They have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by Allies and Recovery members. And now, coming up for air with Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This is Air Mom Laurie, and I am speaking with Dominique Simon-Levine, the creator of the Allies in Recovery website. She is the creator and the CEO. In the past, we covered modules one and two. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about module three and kind of clear up some of the difficulties in defining particular pieces from module three. And module three is what's going on when my loved one uses. So hi, Dominique, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me, Lori. So first off, we covered modules one and two. Today's module, I'd like to start off by defining exactly what it means when we say when my loved one uses. Right. I think people get very confused when they read that at first. Maybe you could speak about it a little bit. I think the confusion comes in that when you have a loved one who's abusing drugs or alcohol, they use, right? In your mind, they're using. But actually, what we do with Allies in Recovery and Craft is we try to distinguish between use in the moment and non-use in the moment. So anybody who uses drugs and alcohol has moments when they don't use. They can be fleeting, they can be very small, but they exist. And if you tell me that your loved one is always drinking or always shooting drugs, shooting opiates or something, I would say to you, I don't think so. I think there are moments when they really cut back because they wanted, there's something they want to do that makes them need to be not high or straight to do. Going to see your probation officer, going to work on a Monday morning, running out of money. I mean, there, there are a number of reasons why people actually stop in any given week or cut back. They have a strategy of management of cutting back because they want they want to appear in good shape for certain things. And so you have basically... I, call, I say the world divides in two. Your loved one in the moment, right now, as you're looking at him or her, they're either using high or they're not using, right? So if they're using, we're talking about, okay, they're, they're hunting for money, they're, they're missing, they're looking for drugs. They're going to use and there's no turning them around. That's, that's, that's use in that moment. And in that moment... As a family member, there's nothing you can do. You you just back away from that. That is use. Then there's the actual being high. That's 
clearly used. He came home stoned. I could see it in his eyes. His, he was slurring. She was, she was walking funny. I mean, use. And then there's the withdrawal from the use. He's hung over in bed. She's withdrawing from the opiates that she hasn't been able to get more of. So she's sick. That's withdrawal from use. All of that is use. And so when we say your loved one is using, we mean all three parts of that. And there's a way to behave as a family member when you see that. Again, not what happened last week, not what they're going to do tomorrow, but what they're doing right now. If you, if your loved one comes home and he looks high, you're going to react by taking away any rewards you might have been planning or anything he likes or she likes, dinner on the table, sitting on the couch together watching your favorite sitcom, whatever it is, you're, you're going to disengage with them. You're going to allow natural consequences. You're just going to give them sort of the big chill, as we call it. When they're not using, oh my God, he, it's Thursday night and he doesn't get paid till tomorrow, so the chances are really good he's not using. He comes through the door, he looks he looks straight. That is a period of non-use. And in that moment, I want the family member to respond with, hey, it's good to see you. You look good. You know, let's come on into the kitchen. I'm fixing us some food and we're going to watch, you know, we're going to watch Seinfeld, you know, so that's what we mean. And so in module three, which is a busy model, right? Because module because we we have lots of exercises there but the, all the exercises are designed to get your eye more practiced more clear to be able to distinguish whether your loved one is using in the moment or not using right so i guess that that does kind of lead me to the to the next question is why is it so important or what is so important about module 3 why do we need to know this because as a family member, you, you have a few strategies that you can use with a loved one who's using drugs or alcohol, right? You, you can step in, you can reward, you can, you can be loving, you can provide them with feelings of family and warmth, or you can step away when you see use. And so we need, we need to teach the family to be aware and to understand what they're seeing. And many families just see it as a big blur. That's why you hear, well, my, my daughter always uses. She's, she's an opiate user. She's always using. She's always, you know, running from here to there. I never know anything. I can't tell. And I said, but, but I think you can. I think you need to start paying attention. And these exercises in Module 3 are designed to help you focus on what's important in order to understand what they're doing. Right? Right, exactly. That's that's what I find going through and doing the exercises in module three really helped me to identify very specific patterns and very specific moments. And and you're right, I hear this all the time. Well, she's always high or he's always high, he's always using. And I'm like, Well, are you sure? And doing the different exercises in the groups that I've been running when we do them together, what I find interesting is that people will read something in, in the exercises and not identify it for their loved one. And then someone else will speak and say, oh, yeah, what about an example like this? I'm just trying to think of one. My loved one gets triggered by 
by having money in their pocket, right? That may be one of their, one of their triggers for going out and using. It's a reason why. And I have seen other, other families be like, well, no, I don't think so. And then they think about it. Oh yeah, maybe that is why, maybe that is what's going on. I understand this after having done the module about 500 times, but when I first started doing the modules and doing the exercises, which is why I strongly suggest that families go back over the modules because what you get the first time is not what you get the third time and it's not what you get the eighth time. So continually going over it and, and really tweaking your approach, I think is a, is a real positive thing to do. Let me interrupt the show for just a moment. I'd like to remind listeners there's a wealth of information about topics related to substance use disorder on alliesinrecovery.net. Allies in Recovery is a private members-only site that connects families dealing with substance use. It also teaches strategies for both helping your loved one and self-care. That's alliesinrecovery.net. Now back to the topic. The way the system works is it databases your most recent answer. So you can go in and change things or update it or, or delete something. Oh, he no longer does that. You know, he's, he used to sort of sheepishly come up and ask for the car. And I knew then that that was a moment where he, was, he wanted to go out and find some drugs and use. And now he doesn't even ask for permission. He just steals the car. You know, so there are things that change. I want the family to get really a good practiced eye. I want the family to understand that there are patterns. And Lori, you're so right. There are always patterns. And you want to be able to track them because that's how you know how to react. Right. And then you track how the patterns change because new patterns start to come up. So you have to be really good at identifying patterns. And a part of it is you're identifying these patterns so that you don't get manipulated. You don't get, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Because I also don't think our loved ones are thinking, oh, I better change it up because this isn't working. I think in their subconscious they do, right? That they kind of, oh my God, it's not working anymore. I've got to change it up. Uh, and so you have, to, you have to continually go and readjust and really hone into what's going on here. You know, what, yeah. what's my part in it and how can I... Because the only way to make change is if you change your response to what's going on. And you don't want to say, are you high? You look high. What's going on? Um, All of that sort of talk is is too confrontational. It just pushes them up against the wall and they'll deny or defend or, you know, it, it simply won't get you anywhere. You have to take everything you're seeing, everything you're learning from the modules and apply it, but you do it silently. You, you, you're you not going to ask for, you're not going to drug test, you're not going to ask whether they're high, any of that stuff. You're going to take the sum total of your best informed opinion and you're going to respond. You're going to respond in a loving, rewarding way or you're going to step away, take away rewards, 
you're not going to let you're going to let them oversleep if that's what happens when they go out all night and and, and then they miss work or they miss school. You're going to allow that to happen, but you need to know what you're seeing as best you can without asking. Right. And the other thing that's that's true with those exercises, the way we've set them up in the data set, in the database that where the questions are, is we allow you to talk about different drugs. Maybe your loved one uses alcohol on the weekends and cocaine on the weekends, but during the week, they try to get by with just marijuana, you know, so you need to understand how things look, can look different by which drug they're using or combination of drugs. So it's not easy as a family member, but this is going to be your best effort to understanding what you're seeing. Right. Okay. So one of the big components of module three are the ABCs. And a lot of families, when they read that, are very, well, ABCs. One, they don't know what an antecedent is. They certainly understand behavior and consequences, but everybody struggles, I think, to kind of put all three together, especially when they don't know what an antecedent is. So can you clear up what ABCs, what, what is that? Yes. In behaviorism, you know, the, the, the psychological school of behaviorism, um, one of the first things a, a behaviorist would do is, is called a functional analysis. And it's, it covers what happens just prior to the event, what's happening during the event, and what happens just after the event is over. So... It's, it can be very technical and dry to do this, but it's very important for the family in order to, again, gain that, that critical eye and understand what you're seeing. So an antecedent is anything that happens just prior to the event, and the event is use. So they're com- I just found my purse and it's missing $40, that's an antecedent, right? Anything that happens just prior to their use. He's, um, he's fidgeting, he's, he can't sit still. I, I can tell that he's, he's getting really desperate, he's going to use. That's an antecedent. So ABC is a sort of, I thought, a little simpler than functional analysis, but not much when you use the word antecedent. I get it. It's, there's like, come up with another A word. But antecedent is where it happens just before, and you're noticing it. So you know there's just a, there's about to be that pattern. There's nothing you can say or do in this moment because they are, they're hell-bent on, on getting high. And then there's the antecedent, the B is behavior. So what are you seeing when they're high? How are they looking? All of that. And then consequences, C, what is happening just after? Um, they're withdrawing. They're sick. They're, they're sleeping for days. They're, they're really crabby. So you just want to get an idea of those three parts of what we're calling use. Okay. There's another really interesting piece about module three that I don't think families even recognize, even, even when we're doing the exercises, I see the confusion and I see the, huh, that's not me kind of look on their faces. And so oftentimes we talk about, so in module three, you start talking about the consequences, the short-term and long-term consequences of use and non-use. And you also talk about how there are consequences to the family, both positive 
and negative. And families, I see, I see the look on their faces when I say, well, what are the positive consequences of your love's use? And I think that's a great piece to put in there because I think that families don't identify. That's a really difficult thing to identify that there is payoff in some way, somewhere for them using. Can you just talk about that a little bit? There's both positive and negative consequences of having, let's say, your husband is using. What's positive about his drinking every night? What's positive for you as as his wife? Well, I guess if I had to say something, I would say, well, at least he's home. I know where he is. He's actually oftentimes in a better mood after a couple beers. There's a period before he gets too sloshed that is actually enjoyable. He's talkative. He's attentive. I, I feel like sort of he blossoms, and, and I, I like that. And so I'm, I'm conflicted, right? I'm conflicted because there's a part of this that actually feels good to me. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying you need to be aware of it right. because it's, 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 it's softening your message. It's mixing your message to him. If you really, really want him to stop using, then you need to behave in a way that's really clear and not mix things up. And, and all of it, you know, so he picks up that first beer and you flip out and you knock things around and, you know, and, and act all, all unhappy. And then he starts to, to come around and become attentive and he gets sort of that warm, alive look on him and, and you enjoy that. So you relax around him and, and you like being with him in the moment. And then he gets, he goes way over the line and gets drunk and then, you know, falls asleep on you. Um, so you need to recognize that there's some of this that you like and it could be mixing up your message. And in order to get give craft a chance and give you more success, you're going to have to walk away even when he's warm and fuzzy and alive and attentive. Right. That's, you need to recognize that that's there. Right. That's something that I struggled with with craft for a little while, identifying those moments when, one, identifying the moments when it is a positive payoff for me, for my, for my son to be using. And, and they were there. It, it took me a while to identify them. I know this sounds crazy, but when he was using, he was very productive and he would do things. I know this is weird, but he would do things like he would come home and organize my fridge. He would empty the fridge out. He would wash it and he would organize everything. Do you know how much I loved having that done? <laughs> and it was like, oh, there it is. There's the payoff for me. And I don't stop him from doing that. I didn't leave the room and I didn't, I wasn't able to understand in that, at, you know, in that early stages of practicing craft that my staying in the room and encouraging him to continue to uh, clean out the fridge was actually a reward. It was a reward. I was rewarding his behavior versus just and I strongly, strongly believe what you said previous, previously, that confrontation gets me nowhere. It just pushes things back and, and deeper and farther into things. But I had to learn how to go, huh, 
and just walk away. I'm not going to be in the room. I'm not going to watch you clean out the refrigerator. I'm not going to, I'm going to maybe get in the car and go for a ride, go down to the grocery store and walk away. But it, difficult, really difficult things to do. I have a mother uh, who was divorced, uh, who had been active in alcoholism for much of her son's upbringing and, and separated from him. And he was now living with her. He was in his early 20s. And when he would smoke pot, that was about the only time that he would sit with her and talk and, and be light. And it was, it was a wonderful time for the both of them. And it was very hard for her to recognize and that she had to walk away from him when he was like that. That her staying and talking with him was normalizing and encouraging him to get high. Yep. So you have to you have to clean that up. That that again is, you know, in the module. What do, what do you do when you see use? Part of it is disengaging, giving them a cold shoulder, not being angry and visibly upset, just walking away and leaving them alone. Right. She had to learn to do that. And it made a huge difference in in this kid. He actually went, oh my God, what's happening? Right. It was, he stayed home that night because he was so concerned that something really wrong. Right. And and that worked. She said, I I can't sit here. I can tell something's not right. I'm going to go to my room. And he was sort of left there just cold, sitting there going, what the hell's up with mom? Right. You know? Right. And I totally identify with that because I know that there were times that when my son was high, that he was very affectionate, right? He would, he would want to go, come on, you want to go to the store and get this or, you know, and do this, let's cook together. It was really hard emotionally for me to detach from that, to get away from that. And it was, it, it's not a detachment with, you know, a full out leaving him. It's not an angry, it's just a, I'm going to go to my room and do a little bit of reading right now. And let's just take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by CCSHM, the Community Coalition for a Safe and Healthy Morris, whose mission is to prevent and reduce substance use throughout the lifespan through collaboration, education, and community-wide change. CCSHM partners with CARES, the Center for Addiction Recovery, Education, and Success, to bring prevention and recovery services to communities throughout Morris County and New Jersey. CCSHM and CARES are projects of Morris County Prevention is Key. Go to safehealthymorris.org or caresnj.org or call 973-625-1998. We have a blog, and and um, she she just wrote in with a bunch of wins. She calls them wins when when craft works, and and she said my son was at the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist asked my son how he felt uh, uh, his parents were were behaving or acting around him, and he said, well, when I'm not using. They're wonderful, and it's great to be with them. But when I'm using, they're hostile. <laughs> and, and that was his word. And she said, look, look at the distinction he's making. He's getting it. But it's not like we said, we're going to be hostile to you because you're using. They just walked away. They weren't they just giving him attention. They just, right. Yeah, that's right. it. Right. And that was hostile to him. Yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. it was probably pretty painful for him, right? That Absolutely. disconnection. 
Right. And it, and really, it means something's up that I don't understand. You know, I have my parents sort of comfortably in in this corner. They react to me if I if I tell them I'm, you know, I'm I'm really upset. And, you know, they they come towards me. I've been able to to work them all these years, and now they're changing their tune, and I don't understand why or how. And um, it, I'm all of a sudden I'm more independent from my parents right. in that moment. Uh-oh. I am like my own actor. I'm I am I can't bring them along as part of the the package that I usually walk around with. Right. I talk about this all the time. You you're changing things up. You're not playing your part like you used to. Right? You're not wait a minute. We have a script here. I do this and then you respond with that. And then I respond to you with this and you respond to me with that. And if you don't respond the way they're expecting you to, they're left having to have to figure it out. They're left like, oh, you're changing it up on me. And the other thing about that is, and what I have found is when you change it up, expect it to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Right. Expect it. It, it just, uh, that's what I find because it's, they become frantic. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Wait a minute. You usually, you usually come back with some kind of a negative comment and then I get to take a jab at you. And now I can't take my jab at you. (laughs) I want to take my jab at you. You know, that kind of. If you've done module three, you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's based on what you're seeing in your loved one and how you're responding. So all of that's getting clearer and clearer. And and you're no longer in their pocket and they're reacting in a huffy way. And you know why? It's because you're pulling back when they're hot. So all of this becomes a lot clearer to the family member. It It gives them confidence to keep it going. Yeah, it does. And I'm finding with us doing it in a group like this, it's amazing the different things that were coming up and the different things that different people see. We were going through doing one of the exercises and one of the things that we kind of stumbled upon was we're now starting to have a better understanding of the disease of substance use disorder. And we all talk about how I don't understand, you know, now they're not using, but they won't leave the basement and all they'll do is play video games and they, they don't want to go out and they don't. And we started talking about this in module three about how one of the long-term side effects of using is they lose their friends, right? And one of the long-term side effects of not using, of stopping, of going into recovery is they have to lose all of their friends again, right? So now you've got, right? And then we want that, and now they're gonna go into some form of depression for, for a reasonable amount of time. So really what we're asking them is, okay, you lost your friends when you started using drugs. Now we want you to give up these friends, but now we want you to get out there and find some new friends, but they only have to be very specific friends because they can't be using and they can't. So it's interesting how, when we're sitting there looking at it as a group, we start to have this much better understanding of what's going on, right? And why yes. our loved yes. ones are struggling with these things. 
and, and just to complete the piece about how the use is affecting you negatively and positively, we talked about how it's affecting you positively. You know, there's, it's great. He's in the basement. I know where he is. At least when he's using his home, I know where he is. I, I much prefer him under my roof, blah, blah. And then the negative, the negative stuff, I mean, most of you will think you know all the negatives, but make a list of them anyway. I worry, I can't sleep, I eat, you know, I freak out when they get home, uh, you know, all of these sorts of, of negative outcomes from their use. And because you're going to take that list and you're going to hopefully uh, get clearer as to what's your part in that negative outcome. Yes, you over worry. And why? Because module seven shows shows you how you really are pulling yourself down with negative thoughts. Yes, I can't sleep. Why? Because those negative thoughts are keeping me awake and I've got to do a better job of, of not swirling around in it for hours before I go to sleep. And it's my it's my stuff that I freak out when he gets home. And it, it hurts a lot, but I have got to find a different way to respond to him when he gets home and so on and so forth. So everything that looks like is your loved one's fault is in fact partly your loved one's fault, but you have a role in in it as well. And getting clearer on the negative and positives of the of your loved one's use helps you at least to have a uh, a chance to yeah. work on them. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I agree that separating what is yours to work on and what is theirs to work on is really important. And I think those lines are blurred when you're in the middle of crisis and you're the, you know, and, and this is going on. And I talked to, we talked about this particular piece of it with families all the time. And I wrote a, a, a piece called, I think it's called Comfort and Chaos and about how It's very similar, like when they go off to treatment or they go off and they're living in a sober home, you as as a family member are so used to the chaos that it's almost like when they go off and things calm down and now all of these awful feelings kind of, you become more anxious, you become, you just have this sense that something is wrong all the time. And I find that it's very similar to empty nest syndrome, only on steroids, (laughs) right? But this is the time when it's just like if your kid goes off to college. Yes, you're anxious. You're not used to not being uh, Joey's mom or uh, Melanie's mom. That's what you're used to being. And now you have to kind of find your own identity again. And if you're feeling anxious and you're teary-eyed and you're missing uh, your, your son or your daughter, you don't call them up at college and say, hey, you know what? I'm really not doing well emotionally. You need to quit school and come home because I need you <laughs> to feel better, right? It's not their job to make your feelings better, right? Now it's your job to get out there and find what's going to work for you. And I kind of equate that as being able to identify what is it that I'm supposed to be working on and what is it that my loved one is supposed to be working on, right? And your feelings are yours. You're the one who has to be working on it and you cannot put it on your loved one, your feelings, right? They can't, even if they stop using 
you are still going to have bad feelings. You are still going to have to work on them. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. I'd like to kind of conclude this podcast with thank you so much for coming on. And I don't know if there's anything else that you want to uh, kind of end this conversation with on module three. It's, it's work and it's very important work and it'll serve you well now and later to, to answer those exercises. Um, it's, it's a very useful thing to do. Yep. And I would like to just kind of, um, to all our listeners out there, if you find that coming up for air is helpful and you want to support our podcast, one way you can support us is to give us a five-star rating. Uh, So when you have a moment, could you please give us a hand and just go out there and click on those five stars and you can send us a little bit of a review and let us know how you feel. Well, thank you, Dominique. Until the next time. Thanks, Lori. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Coming Up for Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online. Or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery, the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, .net. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey.